You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Over the last 36 hours, if you were playing NBA bingo and you had the Utah Jazz trading Rudy Gobert to Minnesota, you won a lot of prizes because I don't think anybody saw it coming. And yet again, we get another blockbuster deal now. Gobert heads to Minnesota to to team with Carl Anthony Towns. What does it mean? We'll break it down. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, we're presented by Progressive Insurance. Sarah, it's wild. Every day is wild. And uh, at this point, I've given up trying to predict anything because it feels like every day is unpredictable. So I guess we'll get some expertise off the top. Tim Bontemps, ESPN NBA writer, joining us right out of the gates. Tim, I was shocked. What was your initial reaction to the news that Rudy Gobert is now headed to Minnesota? Uh, not shocked. And uh, for, for those of you who are listening, if you listen to our Hoop Collective pod this morning, with Brian Winters and Tim McMahon, uh, we talked about the fact that Utah Jazz were up to something, right? Yesterday, there was a lot of uh, noise, obviously, surrounding the Brooklyn Nets for reasons we will obviously get into soon, right, involving one certain very tall, very good basketball player named Kevin Durant. But in the middle of everything that went on with the Nets yesterday, our agent Orjanowski reported about a pretty interesting trade. And it wasn't interesting because of the player involved, a player named Royce O'Neal, who's a okay uh, wing 3-and-D player, right? But it was the fact that the Utah Jazz traded away Royce O'Neal and got back a first-round pick in what essentially was a salary dump, right? When you look at the Utah Jazz with two all-star players, and Donovan Mitchell Rudy Gobert, and they trade their starting small forward in a salary dump for a first-round pick, kind of makes you wonder what's going on, right? And so there were rumblings around the league that there could be something going on with, with Rudy Gobert in Minnesota. Obviously, it came to fruition today. And, look, to, to start with the Utah side first, massive return for Rudy Gobert, um, who has a ton of money left on his deal. And while I think he's a fantastic player and I think he's a little underrated in the marketplace, um, he is a guy – that, you know, has a ton of money on his books. And in a league where teams are trying to play smaller and quicker, you now have Cat and, and Rudy Gobert playing together as two seven-footers making a combined $700 million. Like, that is a fascinating move on 100 levels. So I am really curious to see what the Wolves look like going forward. Um, and from the Minnesota side, you know, like I just said, with the two of them and, and, and Anthony Edwards, to me, this is Minnesota saying we think this team is good enough to compete in the Western Conference and try to win the Western Conference with these three guys. I don't think you pay the kind of price they paid, essentially getting up five first-round picks to just be an okay team. So, you know, now they're going to play Carl Towns at four, they're going to have Anthony Edwards at the two, and then they're going to have Rudy Gobert at the five. So this is one of the more interesting trades we've seen in a long time. And now, you know, if the Utah Jazz are kind of positioned to go one of two ways. They can, you know, try to build around Donovan Mitchell going forward and use some of these picks they've got to supplement him pieces around him on the roster – or they could maybe potentially go the other way and blow this thing up and, and get a huge haul for Donovan. So a pretty wild and seismic move. But like I said, if you saw the Royce O'Neal move yesterday, which most people didn't admit everything that went on, it was a signal that this could be on the horizon for the Jazz. Talking to Tim Bontem, CSPN NBA writer here on Spain and Fitz. Tim, between Zion getting paid and the Gobert deal, does that change your opinion on where KD might end up at all? Um, well, I mean, the Gobert deal certainly is interesting. I don't know if it necessarily changes where, um, where Kevin's going to end up. I don't think he was going to Minnesota or Utah. 
Um, but, and we have not reported yet that Zion has been paid. So I think from that standpoint, I would say that that avenue is still open in terms of Zion being available. Now, I think it's more likely that Zion would be on the Pelicans and they'd be, you'd be talking about a trade built around Brandon Ingram for Kevin Durant. But to me, when I look at it, Sarah, there's a few teams I think that are realistic options. The two that obviously stand out are the ones Kevin has said he wants to go to, Lisa, Lisa's coordinator Adrian's reporting, um, the Phoenix Suns and the Miami Heat. And then you've got the Pelicans, as you mentioned, who have a ton of draft picks and have um, Brandon Ingram to be the headline piece of the trade. And then you have the Toronto Raptors, who have all their draft picks. And Scotty Barnes, the rookie of the year this year. They also have Pascal Siakam. They have OG Ananobi. They have Fred Van Vliet. They have a lot of pieces that they could put together to make a deal. And then they also would still have an excellent team with Kevin Durant afterwards. So, to me, those are the four teams that I'm looking at for different reasons that could make a deal. But I keep going back to Phoenix. I think Phoenix is a team that has the pieces to get this thing done. I think it's just a question of whether they're able to do it because it's going to probably require more teams to get involved and be a pretty complicated deal to put together. How good would Brooklyn be after any of these deals? Well, that is a really interesting question um, because I think the Nets have a chance to be pretty good after these deals because they're going to get players back. I think they can help them. They're not, I don't think just to be getting a hundred picks back. Um, and because the Nets don't have their picks for the next several years due to the James Harden trade, which by the way, happened less than 18 months ago. Pretty crazy, right? Feels like it happened about 18 years ago right now for a variety of reasons. Um, I think because of the fact that the Nets don't have their picks, I think there's a more than likely chance that they're going to try to make moves that allow them to be competitive now because the, whole, the kinds of packages they're talking about are getting young, high upside players, right? So it's not like they're trying to get 100 draft picks and stink. Like they're trying to get guys that already are really good and young. So I think because of that, I'll be surprised if, depending on, you know, I don't know exactly what the, the package is going to look like, but I think whatever the Nets get back is going to allow them to still be pretty competitive going forward. I think an, an analogy for it, it's not exactly the same, but if you think about the trade Masai Ujiri made for Carmelo Anthony and the, got, the, the package of players he got back from the Knicks that allowed the, the Nuggets to, I think, win 56 games the next season or 57 games, you know, Dino Gallinari, Wilson Chandler, Timothy Mozgov, Ray Felton, like, I, I, don't, I think there'll be more draft equity involved, but I think that's the kind of package of ready-made talent we're talking about that would allow the Nets, to your point, to actually be pretty good despite obviously losing Kevin Durant and presumably Kyrie Irving here in the next few weeks. It's Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. We're talking to Tim Bontemps, ESPN NBA writer, as NBA free agency continues on. What team do you think has done the best job so far in this very nascent period uh, starting out of helping their team get better? Well, I would thought until this afternoon that the, the clear winners of free agency, at least from the moves that have happened so far, are the um, from Philadelphia 76ers, getting Daniel House, and most importantly, getting P.J. Tucker. Um, I think those are huge moves for them. But I was genuinely fascinated by the move the, the Boston Celtics made today, getting Malcolm Brogdon uh, from, the, from the Indiana Pacers. You know, Malcolm Brogdon is a very good player, averaged 19-5-5 and last year, but has had a bunch of injuries to his knee, to his ankle, or, or his foot, I should say. Um, he's under contract for a bunch of money the next few years. The Celtics are going way into the luxury tax to make this move. Most importantly, guys, the Celtics didn't give up a single player from their top eight of their team that went to the NBA Finals this year. So they added a really good player without sacrificing any of their depth. So between adding him and Danilo Gallinari, that's a huge step forward for the Celtics going into next season. That being said, it's going to be really interesting 
to see how the Celtics manage that internally. Marcus Smart has been very adamant about the fact that he is Boston's starting point guard. They just traded for a guy who's making $22 million a year, who is a point guard. I would assume Malcolm Brogdon will be coming off the bench, so I don't know that for sure. And it's going to be interesting to see how Boston can manage all that together. But certainly when you're just talking about on-court fit and talent, Brad Stevens said after the season he wanted Boston to get more playmaking and more scoring depth. They just did that in a big way with Malcolm Brogdon and Danilo Gallinari. And you can, I think you can argue Boston's made themselves the favorites to get out of the East. As always, Tim, we appreciate your expertise, my friend. Have a great weekend. Have a great fourth. Thanks for joining us. Anytime. You guys, too. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Tim. Tim Bontemps, ESPN NBA writer, uh, doing great work as always. we got a ton to break down on that. We will get back to that, the NBA stories, of course. But the major shift in the world of college athletics continues. We'll get the latest update, Spain and Fitz, on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It's a Friday edition of Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain. Jason Fitz, lots of NBA news, and we'll keep breaking it down throughout the course of the show, obviously, is today's big NBA headline, of course, is Rudy Gobert headed to Minnesota. What's it mean? We'll break it down. But in the meantime, we are still reeling from the news yesterday that UCLA and USC are headed from the Pac-12 to the Big Ten. It's created all sorts of conversation about what's next, about mega conferences, about how the expansion could continue from here. So we figured we'd get some Big Ten insight. Howard Griffith uh, joining us now, Big Ten Network Analyst. Howard, appreciate your time. Happy Fourth of July weekend, my friend. Thanks for hanging out with us. Uh, when you look at USC and UCLA, how concerned should all of us be about these programs and just the geographical complications that come with them joining the Big Ten? Well, I, I think that, that geographically it's going to be worked out because the resources are going to be there uh, to make sure that the student-athletes are, are going to be traveling the best way they can. Uh, that they're going to be able to you know, really have a great experience understanding what the travel is about. It's going to be it's going to be significant, but I think that's over the next year, two years, they're going to have that figured out. And now whether they're traveling in, in sort of a pods or they go out and they're out there for, for maybe four or five days, and, and really you're going to see that in, I would say, uh, the Olympic sports. You'll see a lot of that happening. But I think it's all going to ultimately work out because I think it's going to be a great move uh, not only for, obviously, USC and UCLA, but for the Big Ten Conference. Now it really is a national conference from east to west. We've talked about the positives for the top teams joining these super conferences. Do you see any possibility that the lesser teams that are going to benefit monetarily but aren't adding a lot in terms of competitiveness might get bounced from these conferences? You know, I don't think they'll get bounced. I think when you're talking about uh, the, the power conference or the super conference, mega conference, right now it's going to be the SEC and the Big Ten. And I think those two conferences are going to stay out front. There's no catching those two conferences right now. And I think, you know, commissioners and, and presidents of universities are, are really going to have to sit back and be re- very strategic about what the next moves are because right now, those two conferences that I mentioned are in the driver's seat. You know, UCLA and USC called the Big Ten. And we think about that, at least from my perspective, growing up here in Chicago, and you talk about that national brand, that's what those two were. But they called the Big Ten because they wanted to make sure that they could secure their future. And by doing so, it opened up so many other opportunities. Um, you know, for and I always go back to the Olympic sports, but – 
you know, those West Coast, the two West Coast teams that we're bringing in have unbelievable Olympic sports, uh, and it's really just going to elevate, I think, the Big Ten Conference, particularly in that area. But if, in fairness, while I think all of that is absolutely true, to Sarah's point, at some point, would it not make sense for the SEC to look at Vandy and say, why are you here, and for the Big Ten to look at Rutgers and you know, maybe Northwestern and say, it, it, other than graduation rate, why are these schools part of the Big Ten at this point? Yeah, I don't think you're going to see that. I, I think you're a member university. Uh, you're, going, you're not going to get bounced. I don't think there's any real reason for it. I know, you know, the dollars that are out there, and you can say, okay, well, if we get rid of this school and this school, that's more money for, for everyone else. But I think as these, these conferences continue to get bigger because they haven't stopped, they're not stopping. These last four editions, the two to the SEC, the two to the Big Ten, that's not going to be it. There are going to be others uh, that are going to join uh, and come on board. But I do not think we're going to run into a situation where, those two conferences are going to be saying, ah, you know what, you're not bringing enough to the table. At least I don't see it right now, anything like that happening, um, because they're members uh, of that conference and have been. You seem very optimistic about this, and I think there's a lot of reasons to be so. In particular, media rights and excitement around bringing in these two-storied programs. Do you see any unintended consequences that concern you with this expansion? I think what's always difficult, right, I think you talk about the, the upper echelon teams. Um, they're always going to compete and be able to compete at a very high level. Uh, I'm interested in seeing what co- the conferences are going to look like, whether they're divisions or do you go to one single conference and you just take the, uh, you just take the best two teams out of that conference of the top three, get an opportunity to move on to, to the college football playoffs. That, that is all still – uh, out there, we still have to see that. And it's going to be interesting. Right? It really is. I mean, there, there's a lot of excitement, but there are going to be, I think, programs that are going to be hurt because they're not necessarily going to be able to compete at that same level. What impact, Howard, do you think this has on the college football playoff long term? Uh, it depends. I mean, how many teams do they go to, right? Do, do, do they go to eight? Do they go to 16? Um you know, you could very well see now with the addition uh, of, of USC, particularly right now, and obviously UCLA is starting to make a run now, but you can easily see, you know, what, three teams from the SEC and the Big Ten be in the middle of the playoffs. It just depends upon what that number is. And when you start to think about what strength of schedule looks like, uh, it's going to be hard to argue with those two conferences. And and that's why I think right now, you know, if if you're sitting in another conference at this particular moment, you're trying to figure out how you can position yourself in a way where you can join that group, because right now it's going to be difficult. And listen, everybody's throwing around Washington. Everyone's throwing around Oregon. You look at Stanford, you look at Cal. It's about when you talk about uh, media rights and you talk about the media period, it's really about those TVs, right? It's about being able to get into to those households and where they are. I could very easily see, you know, right now I, I think the number that they're throwing out for the Big Ten is north of a billion dollars. Uh, that was without SC and UCLA. So where is that number going to go to now? It's going to be fascinating. We are in a new age of college athletics. When you look at expansion and you look at NIL, this is something that 
you know, we've not seen, and, and I don't see it changing anytime soon. This is it's, it's a big money business right now, and programs and, and uh, presidents are looking at this, and they're trying to make sure that they can secure the best seat at the table uh, for their institution. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're talking to Howard Griffith, Big Ten Network analyst. Uh, we only have about a minute or so left. I wanted to ask quickly, what do you think this means for the Pac-12 and the teams remaining there? It's going to be tough, right? I mean, right now, you know, the, the phones are ringing. It's the commissioner's office in the SEC and in the Big Ten. Uh, you know, the names have been thrown out there. Washington's been thrown out there. Oregon's been thrown out there. Uh, uh, right, really, the next maybe that next wave that has an opportunity to make a move. But then there's Notre Dame. I mean, it's, they're sitting out there, and they're a wild card. It's going to be difficult. I, I think everyone right now should be scrambling and trying to figure out how they are going to be a part of, uh, uh, of that next group, right? How are you going to join those power conferences? The ACC, you, you can, what is Clemson thinking right now? What is North Carolina thinking right now? So it's not just about what's happening out. Uh, in the Pac-12, because obviously they've been devastated by their two marquee uh, programs leaving. But you look around and you look at you have to look at the ACC now and look at you know what's going to happen in Clemson, what's going to happen in North Carolina. Miami tried to figure something out. So this is a wild this is a wild time, and I don't know that we would have seen this coming, because I don't think we did. Uh, at least I didn't. But when you look about college football, this is where we are right now. Howard, we appreciate your time and your expertise, my friend. Thanks for hanging out with us. Have a great fourth. You guys have a great one, too. Enjoy. Howard Griffith, Big Ten Network Analyst, uh, joining us on Spade and Fitz. And, Sarah, everything you just said, I mean, I keep thinking about Clemson and North Carolina and Miami, Notre Dame, all these schools that are sitting here saying, do I want to feast on the other conferences or do I want to try to join the big boys and and keep going at it that way? Mm Because it's going to be an interesting fork in the road for all of these teams to figure out what the best path is to media rights and to the playoff. Because if it all comes down to money, then how do you protect making the most money possible, which is either going to be part of a multi-billion dollar conference on one side or trying to take more of less pot. It's going to be wild to look at over the next couple of years. Coming up, a new home for Rudy Gobert. Where do the long-suffering Timberwolves rank in the West now? We'll try and figure it out. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on this Friday edition, ESPN Radio. Presented by Progressive Insurance. Get a business insurance quote online in as little as six minutes. Just visit ProgressiveCommercial.com. Six minutes was about as long as it took me to be stunned when I read the news that uh, Rudy Gobert was no longer going to be with the Utah Jazz. Now, I think it's important, and Tim Bontemps mentioned earlier, I think earlier today we all saw circulating on Twitter too, Wendy did a great job. Brian Windhorst did a great job on first take of really walking us all around like something's going on in Utah. And while As Mina was said, it was like his, a suspense film. I mean, it, it really was. Like, it felt like Jordan Peele was going to come out at any time and tell you. Like, So I, I, I loved every ounce of it. I thought maybe something coming meant that Utah was going to try and figure out a way to do something that made them staggeringly better. And it turns out that it looks like there may just be a wild sale going on here. And Sarah, that's what I think confuses me the most because if I'm Donovan Mitchell, like there are conflicting reports from insiders right now about whether Utah's plan is to ship Donovan Mitchell off for a whole King's ransom or to try and build an all new team around him. 
I, I mean, if I'm Donovan Mitchell, I, I don't know how I feel about the concept of a rebuild in Utah. Well, we've talked about this, and I, I, I don't want to say I was right again, but if you remember, everybody seemed convinced that Gobert would be the one to stay and Mitchell would be the one gone, and I thought at his age and skill set, Mitchell's the one that's easier to build around. Now, we don't know for sure that that's what's going to happen. In fact, Brian Windhorst was on NBA Today's free agency special today and said that there's plenty that could still go on, including this move just setting up the Jazz to be part of a three-team deal involving KD or other things. Here's here's what Windy said. They're not going to be done. This this is not now a team that needs Mike Conley. Teams are going to now start talking about Mike Conley. This is now not a team that needs Bogdan Bogdanovich. It's not a team that needs Rudy Gay. All of these guys who have long-term money, who have valued other places, I would suspect are going to potentially be on the trade market and the Jazz are going to get calls. And naturally, you're going to say here, what has Brooklyn prioritized in the early hours mm. of their Kevin Durant uh, trade? They want an all-star back, specifically a young all-star, ideally a young all-star under contract. Well, that could potentially be Donovan Mitchell. And even though Kevin Durant might not end up in Utah, this is where you open up a third trade possibility. So it would not be surprising at all if the Phoenix Suns or Miami Heat, two teams that would that know that requiring Rudy or Donovan Mitchell would be potentially valuable in entering into Kevin Durant talks, would be on the horn to Utah very quickly to check on Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, I mean, Fitz, that's part of this, like, continuing narrative of this free agency period thus far is, like, everything is such a wait and see. We can't even really react to what the Jazz look like now because they might not stay that way. I am such an over-analytical person in so many things in my life that I struggle. Like, I'm the person that walks into, you know, an ice cream place that has too many flavors and I'm completely overwhelmed. The concept of trying to figure out, well, now let what if we send this guy over here, but then this person over Like, once you start involving a third team in a trade, it becomes so wildly difficult for my mind to wrap around how they get it done. But that's frankly why I don't run an NBA team. One of many reasons why I don't run an NBA team. But it speaks to the complexity. Probably the money, too. Of, probably yeah, that no, mon- probably, the money part yeah. about being a billionaire. Yeah, well, I, but, you know, but I, like a billionaire could hire me and just let me be the good-looking front man of, of the whole thing. Uh, I, I think that there's this moment, though, where I look at the complexity of everything, and that's like that's the, the best way I can describe NBA free ag- agency so far. It feels like there's a lot of times where you're just nodding your head saying, guys, it, it's complicated. And if you're Utah, you have to have looked around the landscape and said, okay, we're not going to get where we want to be, so let's just destroy this whole thing and start a rebuild all over again. If you're KD and the Nets, you're looking at every possible, so every which way in a choose-your-own-adventure to try and get people to the end of this situation in a way that benefits the player and the way that benefits the team. This shows how difficult all of that is to me. It does, uh, absolutely. And I think I've been something else I've been talking about for years now is while I support player empowerment, when you sign a long-term deal and you're willing to force your way out a year into four years like James Harden, or a couple years in, you make it incredibly difficult for teams to build moving forward. If you make all the decisions you make based on the idea that you're going to say have Kevin Durant for the next four years, and then he wants out, or, or James Harden, or Anthony Davis, or any number of these players, and again, it's not that you should be stuck somewhere that you're unhappy, but trying to build a super team, realizing it doesn't work, and then immediately leaving, that, that ain't great either. Um, and listen, I, I think we can judge... We can't really judge the Jazz yet, but we could probably judge the Timberwolves. This feels like what they want to land with. And in that way, 
Zach Lowe, I think, summed up what a lot of people thought when they saw this uh, on the NBA free agency special today. I am in disbelief at the amount of draft picks the Minnesota Timberwolves traded for Rudy Gobert. Disbelief. He's a Hall of Famer. He is a Hall of Famer. He's 30. He has four years left on a gigantic contract. And we have seen in the playoffs, his defense has not been the issue. It's that he can't do anything on offense when teams go small against you. I think in the regular season, this is going to work really well. Mm. RJ just said, maybe they got one round better. I actually think that's fine. Mm. I think offensively, they'll figure it out. Defensively, they have realized, they have realized with Carl Towns at the five, they're not going to be good enough defensively. Rudy Gobert is a top 10 defense unto himself. By himself, he is a top 10 defense. They're going to win a lot of games in the regular season with Ant, Cat, Rudy. I just think the price they paid, look, you get one shot at this if you're Minnesota. You get everything one, you ever wanted. one shot to trade picks or use cap space. That's out the window now to get a third guy next to Edwards and Towns. Yeah. I am in shock that they decided this was going to be their shot. Yeah, and Fitz, I think there's a lot of reason for excitement around this because we know that rim protection was such an issue for them. You know, teams have shot almost 70% at the basket last season. That's 25th in the league. I think it's actually 66.9. And you know what you're getting with Gobert. But if you remember this postseason alone, his defense even was a liability against certain teams' lineups. And you look at small ball leading the way, and I just – I don't know, man. I mean, it's a very risky move at any point to give up that much for one player, but especially one that has the offensive inefficiencies that he does. I'll take the opposite side of it, though, Sarah, and say that at least the Timberwolves are aggressively trying to make themselves better. And, you know, this is like I won't talk out about both sides of my mouth because I I was certainly critical last week about some of the reports for what the Knicks were looking to do. But if you are the Timberwolves, you have two cornerstone players that you can build everything you want to build around. I mean, Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns are two guys that you're looking at saying, we've got our future. So now you bring in a veteran that is, uh, you know, to your point, had a tough, tough playoff defensively, but it gives you the chance to bring in somebody that over the course of his career has been very good defensively, that can help in those situations, then can give you the opportunity to, let's say, counter-program. Maybe you can do things a little different than everybody and create your own matchup difficulties. But most important, right now in a limited market, at least Minnesota's made themselves better. You know, I'm not sure that they make themselves certainly better than the rest of the best of the West. But if there's anything we learned this year is that you may not have to be the best team. you just got to be the healthiest team. And if this lets you be in the top three or four conversation in the conference, then you've accomplished what you were really shooting for if you're Minnesota. I don't think there was an easier way for Minnesota to get there. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. I do think also it depends on your expectations, right? When you're a team like Minnesota that just broke extremely long playoff drought, maybe winning it all, of course that's what you'd like, but it isn't a necessity the same way it is for a team like, say, the Lakers, Mm -hmm. right? Where just be relevant, just be in the mix, just get another round further. Um, But that's a whole lot of future that you gave up, a whole lot of future. Yeah, but I think relevance is a bigger, like, you know, we asked that question, not we, but I think the general world asked that question uh, around Oklahoma City when they started sort of dismantling everything. It was like, what, what is the cost of relevance? And not just greatness, but relevance. And they haven't been relevant since. For, for Minnesota, you're sitting on the, you're at least on the edge of being in the mindset of everybody. This gives you an opportunity to continue that. Like, I, 
you're right. I'm holding them to a completely different standard than I hold the Lakers. I will admit that uh, openly, but it still feels like it's right for where this organization is to me. We will see, Fitz. <laughs> we will see. Well, I am not we sold on this, especially come postseason time when teams do everything they can to plan and strategize for specifically what you are showing them. This ain't it for me. Yeah, well, if there's anything we know, usually Sarah's right and I'm wrong, and this will get pulled back out, <laughs> and next year we'll be like, I don't know who that idiot co-host was. All right, we'll, we'll keep breaking it down, of course, but the fourth means two things in this glorious country, independence and hot dogs. I'll be a part of both maybe on the fourth. We'll tell you about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Oh, it's going to be a glorious Monday. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. The hot dog eating contest is upon us Monday, the 4th of July, when it comes to the Nathan's hot dog eating contest. Joey Chestnut is always in the zone. Get in the zone. Brought to you by AutoZone. Get in the zone. AutoZone. All right, Sarah, I'm, I'm just telling you, right now, I think it is going to be a wild, uh, ridiculous weekend of absolute record-setting debauchery as Joey Chestnut has got the opportunity to break his own world record. Last year, I talked to him right right before, the day before I talked to him, and he said, I don't think I've been training enough. I don't think I'm ready. And then he got out there, and he, he set the world record. And I asked him right after as the sideline reporter for the hot dog eating contest. I said, <laughs> you know, what pushed you through? And he said, just something about hearing the crowd just fired him up. So I keep thinking about that with this year because this year, for the first time since pre-COVID, it is back on the corner of Surf and Stillwell. It is going to be a madhouse, a wild scene. It is going to be total chaos. I think Chestnut sets another record. So, I, uh, you know, being a vegetarian and all, it's been a really long time since I had a hot dog that was made of anything other than plant. And mm-hmm. I've even when I did in, engage with the meats, I still didn't like watching. It makes me feel ill to watch, and that is on television. So I have to ask what your stomach is doing when you are face-to-face with the glizzy gladiators that are taking down these dogs. I got to admit, I'm trying to focus through the sound because there's a weird, the first year was the hardest year because— Oh, I didn't uh, even think about the sound. Yeah, so the first year—this is a true story. Uh, the first year that I did it was a couple of years ago— and it was right in the beginning of, uh, you know, it was the first time post-COVID that everybody was trying to figure out what to do. And so it was in a closed area ab- ab- above Nathan's uh, Hot Dogs on, on that same corner. So it was inside. And they had to bring in speakers because they realized that the eaters could hear each other. And it was slowing them down because when you can actually hear the <laughs> noise. Oh, your own out, body like, does that. Yeah. Like you can hear everybody just oh. regurgitating as they're trying to shove all the meats and oh. buns down. Can't so, they always uh, hear each other? Or no, there's usually like no. loud music or something. Yeah, yeah. usually there's so much loud music and the sound of the crowd that you can't really hear it. So like the first year, oh, there, there was a noise and kind of a funk to all of it. Last year, we, we were in a minor league baseball stadium. It was much easier because everything was spread out differently. This year, I'm really interested because you shouldn't be able to hear it at all. So now it's just a matter of the the sloppy wet buns getting all over me. Oh. From the, you know, as people. Oh. As people. Eat quickly. Uh, who, tell us more about how people can want. I don't know why they would want to. I guess they should promote it. It's on our air. Everybody, it's so American and traditional to watch this event. Yeah, it's on ESPN. Where, That's the, <laughs> where the, can it, people watch it? With whom will you be d- digesting this content? Yeah, so uh, John intended. Anderson is taking the play-by-play role uh, this year. So I'll be uh, I'll be the sideline reporter. It will be on ESPN. It looks like twelve to one live. 
Uh, it'll be on ESPN News, and then they do a re-air from 4 to 5 p.m. on ESPN proper. So it'll be on both during the course of the 4th of July. So, uh, it, you know, if you're sitting around, and then also the women's, uh, the women's contest will be on ESPN 3 at 10.45 a.m. So all of those times are Eastern. How it'll are be the women stacking up in this event? Do we, uh, I know we have smaller brains. It's science. Do we have smaller stomachs? Oh yeah, substantially. I mean, the the women's contest. Some many of the women's eaters will be lucky to take. Uh, I mean, just a general six, seven hot dogs compared to his seventy. Are you being so, sarcastic? No, six or seven is what many of them. Six will or eat. seven? Yes, but Mickey Sudo is the number one ranked female in the world, and she ate forty eight and a half. Uh, Whoa! For her re- record. So, Wait, why is there such a discrepancy between the top and the bottom of the women's game? I can't imagine that you'd be a given entry into this most prestigious of contests if you can only get eight dogs down. Yeah, it is. Well, it, it's you know some of the eaters are good at different uh, foods. Better, they're better ah. at different foods than they are at hot dogs. So sometimes that's it. You know why? Some think of it the is? guys are only going to get. I mean, some of the guys that are competing will get in the twenty to thirty range, as mm-hmm. opposed to you know the seventy six plus that we expect. Uh, we Fitz, expect I think it's because uh, I think it's because as women we've been conditioned not to eat any phallic items in public, uh, yeah, hot dogs, correct. bananas, etc. Because men are weird. Uh, so potentially the women are, are training in things that have a different shape uh, yeah, just for the sake of avoiding uh, potential public uh, embarrassment. I know I have to break off a banana into pieces if I eat in public. Yeah, I, I Well, bananas are disgusting, so I don't eat them in, in, anyway. Hey, speaking of bad food takes, that's a terrible <laughs> one. I'm curious this weekend because I will not be eating thing. any hot dogs, but I'm going to be eating all of the side dishes at the cookout. I love watermelon. I love if you take a little watermelon with some basil and some feta. Make oh, a little, God, yes, yes. little little uh, toothpick with it. It's delicious. I love a pasta salad. I love a caprese salad. I love mac and cheese. I love all the goodness. But there are some things that I can't abide. Deviled eggs? Absolutely not. Get those out of here. What? what? Potato how, salad how, how that has chunks like of eggs? Egg. No, I only like omelets or scrambled eggs. I don't like any eggs where you can either see or taste any of the business, like the white stuff, or the, I don't. I don't want a deviled egg. I don't want a pasta salad with big chunks of raw egg in it. I don't want any of that. So, I want to ask the people, what is the most overrated cookout food? At Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz. My vote is absolutely deviled eggs. I also don't think you should have those at a cookout because presumably it's warm out and the eggs are just going to get more and more, you know, salmonella filled. What else is the terrible No, no, no. Okay, so number one, deviled eggs are a delight, especially in the south where they put a little bit of... uh, Bacon on them, and then like drizzle a little honey. Oh, yeah, you would. That's, that's, that's yeah. all the good, good. Yeah, the South takes everything. Like you know, come on, the South is the area where it's like, hey, sushi's really healthy. What if we deep fry it? Right. That's just the way <laughs> this this area works. For me, um, any mayo based product, I'm out on completely. So mm. that means potato salad that that's mayo primary. Like so, if it's a mustard potato salad, I'm in on it. But like pasta salad, no, I am completely out on pasta salad. Oh like, no, you is, don't have is, to put mayo in a pasta salad. Who the hell's pasta salad are you eating? Again, it's a salad thing i guess like what what no what you, you could do a pasta delicious salad? pasta salad with like a little light olive oil oh that's um, okay yeah some like seasoning that, or maybe some salad some people some people use a salad dressing for the pasta salad you definitely don't need mayo for that yeah well again like it's it's a it's a southern thing the funny thing is like i i actually really enjoy a, a hot dog here and there but never to cook out like for me a hot mm. dog is an arena food like i walk into a, a stadium and i immediately need to consume a hot dog so Hmm. Uh, you know, okay. I, of course, being at Nathan's, I will eat one because I'm I'm there. I'm around it. I should. But, 
you know, you start talking about overrated food. I think a lot of people like the chili dog thing. Like, I don't need chili on a hot dog. That seems like it's absolutely. Yeah, that's unnecessary. Uh, I definitely don't. I, I don't. I've never understood what a corn dog is either. Okay, Why would you dog want is that? a delight, Sarah. What are we doing? No, now? Like, I, where, what where is, are we going now? First of all, my real issue is is Harry, who's filling and producing tonight, put loaded baked potatoes. Those are delicious. Yeah. What's not to like about a potato stuffed with cheese and sour cream and chives and all the goodness? I'm not saying that they're not good. They are good. I'm just saying they're very overrated because people think they're the end-all, be-all. No, no, I completely disagree. That Loaded bacon. I, I'm basically the guy from Forrest Gump of potatoes. French fries, <laughs> rosemary potatoes, baked potatoes, sweet potatoes. I, you could, there is not a potato in the world that I will turn down. Where, where are you on baked beans, Sarah? I'm not a big baked beans person. I like black beans. I like black beans like in a in a Mexican dish. I do not do baked beans. Uh, okay. Absolutely not. That's a no for me. Okay. Well, baked beans I'm all in on. Like the, the kind that have like the brown sugar and everything in them that make a bad for you. You would absolutely do that. But the thing that. I would say is that like I want my baked beans cold. I don't want them hot. Like What? I don't really. I like, yeah. No, I'm all in on cold baked beans. I just take them out of the fridge, scoop them on a plate, let's eat them. Like I don't need any of that. To, like I really don't want any barbecue food that's warm. Like if it has to be consumed warm, I'm out on it. What about like a delicious skewer, a shish kebab? Don't you want that warm? Don't you want your hamburger, your hot dog, your grilled chicken, your meats? Don't you want those warm? I mean, yeah, I mean, I'll eat a warm, like a, a warm burger is fine. But if you tell me that it's like it's it's gotten room temp, or I'm fine with that too. Like I don't you are need, the weirdest I guess human any being my, when it comes any to Any of my sides, I don't need to be warm. What about a delicious grilled pineapple? Like, look. I've, I don't need grilled pineapple. I just need like pineapple that's chopped up. Like I don't, I don't need. You, that's because you've never had it. It's and and never had like it. the whole skewer thing. Like if you're the person that's bringing veggie skewers to my cookout, you are no longer invited. I don't need your veggies. But then I won't be eating any of your meats. Well, I won't be stealing any of the things you want. You can you can bring your own skewer, and then we'll go from there. All yeah, right, phrasing. big deals, big Sorry trades. NBA free agency's getting started. We'll get you the latest news next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, and as always on the ESPN app. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. We're going to talk to Chicago Red Stars superstar Mal Pugh and the queen of the home run, Jocelyn Allo, in just a little bit here on Spain and Fitz on a Friday, a holiday weekend Friday, by the way, Fitzy. Uh, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. But before we get to the ladies, we got to talk a little more NBA free agency. We've been talking about this Rudy Gobert to Minnesota trade. And while there are plenty of takes to be had about the amount given up, by the Timberwolves sent to the Utah Jazz for Gobert. There's also plenty to dissect when it comes to what that matchup looks like. Uh, those two big men. And Fitz, you and I were talking about this earlier. Like, there is certainly the opportunity to be a mismatch on a positive side for them. But I'm looking around the league trying to figure out the concept of going oppo on bigs when so many small ball lineups are the ones that teams have the most difficulty with. And you look at what teams did against Gobert in this postseason with the Jazz and how easy it was to even make him inefficient on the defensive side where he thrives. And that's the big concern I have. Yeah, I think you're right about that big concern, by the way. I think, you know, you look at that and say, was that an aberration? Is that something he could work on? Is that something he can fix? Or is that just the way the world goes? And you make a very good point, especially when it comes down to playoff time. Everything is about particular matchups that can be exploited over and over and over again. So now the book's sort of been put out on it. So the question is, 
Is there anything he can do to work around that? I'm not sure there's enough on the roster to help with that deficiency right there either. So that is going to be interesting to see how they can sort of – what they can do because that reaches to the point where you say, okay, regular season wins, yes, playoff wins, maybe not. But if it makes them a little better, it probably pays dividends for the Timberwolves. But I do think you raise a, a valid concern about the deficiency, the defensive deficiency, hard for me to say. Right, which during the regular season, I think they'll be great. They had a lot of trouble rim protecting. Gobert is huge in that space, and it'll be fine to have – Cat at a power forward. This is a guy who can shoot and 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 space out the floor. I just really worry about teams going small, pulling him out of the paint, and then uh, being able to feast. I, I I think that this whole double big situation is going to be one that could be really difficult for them come the postseason. And on the other side, you've got a a Jazz team that we're not really sure what the end product will look like. You know, you've got a whole lot coming their way. And potentially, do they build around what they got or do they send all those pieces somewhere else as part of a, a trade that could be even a three-team deal? Now, Dave McMenamin was on Canty and Carlin's day. And of the, all the people that I've heard, Fitz, I think he's the most positive about this move uh, of the reporters we've heard from. You got to love the aggressive mentality from Wolves GM, their new GM, Tim Connolly, saying, like, you know, maybe traditionally you wouldn't look at our group and say they're on the verge of contending. Let's try to throw the window open right now. Go for broke in this short period of time. We got an all nba -er in Carl Anthony Towns who we just locked up on a long-term deal. An up-and-coming uh, a guy who people around the league think could be an MVP someday in Anthony Edwards. You know, some, some key vets, uh, you know, guys like uh, uh, Patrick Beverly. Now you had a, you know, multi-time defensive player of the year. I love the aggressive mentality. I don't know if this is a great long-term play, but in the short term, you're going to start talking about the Wolves on that list of seven or eight teams in the league that you could potentially see making the conference finals or finals next year. I also I think, Sarah, like when I you start talking about it. the long-term play with, with guys in the NBA right now, like when you've got great young stars, you got to strike now. I mean, I Agreed. love the long-term play when you're trying to build if you don't have that guy. But if you're Minnesota, you got to look around and say, well, at least we're going to try and do the best that we can do. And I, I think also interesting as uh, when Dave mentioned Tim Connolly, let's remember that he drafted Gobert traded Gobert to the Jazz. Now he's mm -hmm. back here trading for him. Like, I think there's a familiarity with the player that just makes the front office comfortable in exactly who they're acquiring at 30 years old. All of that plays into why I'm really positive on it. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz talking NBA free agency. When we talked to Tim Bontemps earlier, he kind of shrugged off my question about whether or not this move with Gobert affects what happens to KD. Meanwhile, Brian Windhorst seems to believe that there could be a three-team deal in the mix that uses some of the picks that Utah just acquired, something that even might be able to spin the Phoenix Sun move that KD is requesting, but that most say eh, there isn't the right package if you're just using what the Suns have. So maybe this Gobert deal ends up having an effect on what Kevin Durant does. I also wonder what the Zion deal does. Most people argued that Brandon Ingram might be the guy to go in a Pelicans deal with the Nets and not Zion. And yes, officially Zion's deal is not being reported, but per everybody, you know, it sounds like $231 million with the Pelicans, and they're taking the risk on Zion. Do you like a Zion-KD pairing with CJ and others, or would you have rather seen if they could have flipped Zion and hung on to Ingram? 
Yeah, I would have rather seen Ingram get the chance to play with KD. That just seems exciting to me. And Zion is just too much of a wild card health-wise. Like, I, 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 there's nothing you can do at some point about the way your body is breaking down and about some of the injuries that you sustain. Not all, but some. And I look at Zion and say, as dominant as he has been on the floor at times, he hasn't been on the floor consistent enough for me to feel great about any of that. And if I'm if I'm KD right now, the one thing I am looking for more than anything else, given the situation I'm walking out of, is consistency. Availability. Right? Like, there's just like I, I want to know who's playing next to me. And I loved that about the opportunity for Brandon Ingram. So I'm actually bummed to see, unless there's some magical way that we're not thinking about where Zion Ingram and KD come together in New Orleans, which would be a delight. Short of that, I, uh, unfortunately, I think it, it robs us of a really good opportunity. Yeah, we were talking yesterday about how we think that'd be a landing spot for KD that most people might be okay with because Pelicans have had some bad luck in terms of AD forcing his way out, in terms of Zion's injury. Getting KD might be something interesting and cool to see with the pieces that they have down there. Now it seems like maybe the other best shot that people had, which is the Raptors, might be the most likely destination for Kevin Durant. I don't know if he wants to go there, though, Fitz, and this is what we talked about when this news first hit. Technically, Kevin Durant has zero power. The Nets can send him anywhere, but the team acquiring him needs to believe he wants to be there and won't simply be asking out again. Now, with Kawhi Leonard, the Raptors were more than happy to take him on as a mercenary, win a title, and then say, okay, we thought you might want to leave. I don't know if that's the case with KD, but man, you've got a lot of pieces. Scotty Barnes, one of the most valuable young players in the league that you could build a future around. You've got OG Ananobi, you've got Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Vliet. Whoever you send and whatever you package together with some future first rounders, the Nets might be happy to build around and there'd still be enough left for KD to play with. I don't, I don't know. I mean, maybe Canada is safe from... Twitter trolls and 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 I, they're certainly not safe from vaccine mandates. That's for damn sure. So we better make sure he's got a, a teammates that are going to show up. I was going to say, I, I think he would want to go there just so he doesn't ever have to play Kyrie. Uh, I, I, you're either you're either pro Toronto or you're you're not right. Right. Like I think there's just an element of going to Canada that for some athletes feels overwhelming, even in today's world. Uh, I can't imagine why you wouldn't want to go. It's a great city. It's a fun time. It's a great fan base. It's a city that uh, obviously supports that team in, in every possible way, and it would give him a great chance to win. So if he actually cares about winning, it feels like there would be a great opportunity. And that's one thing that's just going to keep circling through all of this is where can he go where he can win a championship? Because short of winning a championship, it's only going to get louder and louder every time we talk about KD. Yeah, and I think – I'm I'm torn on him. I used to be such a huge fan, and he's lost even his, his most ardent supporters because of uh, who he's aligned himself with, uh, the, the amount of trifling he does. And there's a part of me, Fitz, that you know has always defended his desire to get out and talk to people and want to be a normal person who could just tweet you back and forth instead of uh, not engaging. But sometimes it goes too far. And from those who have been in the locker room with him, they say you go in and it's head in his phone at all times, just way too caught up in what people think of him. I, I would like him to go somewhere normal, but maybe that's not possible if he's there. Maybe that's the problem. Hey, real quick, speaking of drama, uh, the Nets aren't the only team that that can have that, and I wonder if you think there will be any with the Celtics and the Brogdon deal after what Timmy said about Marcus Smart, and I assume Brogdon's going to come off the bench, but that's a whole lot of money and a lot of talent to be bringing off the bench. Yeah, I don't know that I assume that he comes off the bench just because of that. Like, he's got to be healthy. Obviously, we've talked about that, but 
You talk about somebody that can shoot. You talk about somebody that can facilitate. And we spent the entire finals time talking about what they lack as a point guard. So they've made they've taken at least a look and a swing at trying to work on something that was an efficiency for them. So mm-hmm. I think that the best situation is to let the two of them push each other. But I, I like that move a lot for the Celtics. I think they deserve a lot of praise for it today. 19.1 points, 5.9 assists, 5.1 rebounds in 36 games last season. Really smart player, really high IQ player, good defender. That's a guy who fits right in in Boston. That could be a huge move for them if it works out. Spain and Fitz, tune into an NL battle tomorrow as the Phillies host the cards presented by Progressive Insurance. Coverage begins at 3.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Coming up, we'll catch up with a College World Series champion who's breaking into the pros. It's next. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio. Super excited to have joining us now the queen of the home runs, the inarguably greatest college softball player of all time for the Oklahoma Sooners, Jocelyn Allo. Jocelyn, let's just start with this season. You set more records. You won another title. How do you look back at this final year and really stepping up with all the pressure that you had on you to outdo those expectations that were so high? Um, I think I really just came into this year just wanting to leave it all out on the field, Um, just knowing that it was my last year just in a Sooners uniform and just doing, trying to leave my mark on college softball. So I think I really just came into it with um, working really hard and just ready to go. Is there a game you look back on this season where it really hits you that this was coming to an end? Um, It was definitely the last game um, of the champ series. Just I woke up and I was like, uh, this is probably going to be my last softball game, and um, I just wanted to go out and enjoy it as best I could. I think a lot of people who didn't already know your story got to know it from this incredible Tim Kuhn story, um, your, your full-circle journey with your record-breaking home run in Hawaii, growing up with your family and the dedication to the sport. There was so much that went into this journey for you, and of course there's more to come at the pro level, but when you look back and you realize that this time is done – has the last couple of weeks been bittersweet for you? Restful? Have you enjoyed a break? Have you been sad? What's it been like? Yeah, it's funny. I actually haven't really gotten a break. <laughs> I actually went right to um, Vipers, and then I was just in Canada with USA. So I haven't really gotten a break, but just at night when I lay down and I just kind of look at pictures on my phone or something, I just kind of reminisce on the times that I've had and I'm just thankful um, for my five years at Oklahoma and if I could do it all over again I would but um, just nothing but grateful and just have a bunch of good memories from OU. I think we'd all go back and do college again right Fitz? Oh my god yeah Yeah. no doubt about that. Uh, Jocelyn I'm oftentimes using women's sports as part of the reason why I think name image likeness is particularly important it gives athletes an opportunity to go out and make a profit What sort of difference or impact did you see name image likeness making for you as an athlete? Yeah, it's made a lot of difference for me. Um, I think it just made people realize um, the good things that softball players can do and how they should continue to invest in women. But for me personally, it just gave me a little bit of extra cushion um, just as far as like saving up for life, whatever. Um, but yeah, I think it definitely benefited me and only, um, 
it's only going to get better from here, which is what I'm excited for. So I was kind of like the guinea pig for everyone and just kind of I'm going to continue to advocate for people in the NIL business just to continue to invest in women and invest in these softball players because their story goes far beyond just what softball is to them, you know. World Series champ Jocelyn Allo is with us, uh, not just a champion, but record-breaking, ball-crushing hitter. And now you're taking those talents to the pros. As you mentioned, the Vipers, they're part of the WPF. Um, why did you decide to play there? Can you play that and Athletes Unlimited, or is that something where you had to choose? Um, I'm not sure if you can play both. I don't think so, at least right now, because they're going at the same time. Um, but I just felt most confident with Vipers and what it was that they had to offer. And, um, I felt most comfortable going there. And I mean, if I could play both, I 100% would, but, um, I think Vipers and WPF really suited me a lot better. Jocelyn, you also got a couple of SB nominations here. You've got to obviously coming off the heels of a great season. You get two of them. Uh, are you going to go to the award show? Is there somebody, if you do go, that you really want to get the opportunity to hang out with? Um, yeah, I actually will be going. And, I mean, it would be really nice to meet Tom Brady, but I'm sure he's getting ready for a season coming up, so mm-hmm. I don't blame him for that. But, yes, I will be at the award ceremony. That's oh, awesome. SBs are so me. fun. I, I've yet to get to the SB, Sarah, so I'm not, I'm not. I've been yeah, a few I went, times. I went last year, it's and it was time. really fun. Oh, so sorry, Fitz. You're the only one left out here. It is a good time. <laughs> Maybe one day. Maybe one day. Uh, Jocelyn Allo is with us here on Spain and Fitz. Softball superstar, now in the pros and playing for Team USA, it sounds like, too. Um, let's talk quickly about what you're doing with hashtag retire inequality. Yeah, um, I just shot a commercial with them, and it was just to continue to advocate for women and just giving um, some stats that women are getting paid less than men and just continuing to break those um, glass ceilings and um, just continuing to educate people about the inequality in between women and men. Yeah, TIAA is a provider of secure retirements, and they partnered with athletes to talk about that, which makes a lot of sense when it comes to women's sports. We know that women overall have less in retirement income than men do, but in softball, even when the ratings are higher and there's more viewers and the the excitement around the Women's College World Series is more, you're still dealing with lesser resources and facilities. It's, It's the constant fight that we're dealing with, but honestly, Jocelyn, superstars like you are how that changes. People like you Mm -hmm. that get eyeballs all on your own to the sport are, are the way that, um, that, that, uh, people are forced to change. So we're so inspired by your play. We're excited to see what you do at the next level. And we thank you so much for giving us some time. Thanks, Jocelyn. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Awesome stuff from Jocelyn Allo. I mean, I wanted her to play Athletes Unlimited. Maybe there's still a chance uh, for her to come out out here by, I just said oot, like I was Canadian, out here by Chicago and play. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Save when you bundle motorcycle, RV, and boat insurance. Visit Progressive.com. Fitz, we're getting a lot of answers to the most overrated cookout, but there's some breaking news relating to the Nathan's Hot Dog Contest that we're going to need to address a little bit later in the show. At AP Entertainment has just tweeted out, The AP has deleted a tweet about Nathan's hot dog eating contest. The video was deleted 
because it did not meet editorial standards. Oh, what could the that be? The drama, the intrigue. What was it? A reversal of fortune, maybe? I don't know, but I'm just wondering, you know, it, what the, if they want to help promote the event anymore, like I appreciate it. I really, you know, the more controversy we can get leading into it, Sarah, the more eyeballs we're going to get on the day of. I, this I mean, is, it's a, it, a lot of people are wondering whether they just posted that without any content just to drive interest. But why would the AP be interested in promoting? I think something seriously dramatic happened and and i, I need people to get down to this bottom yeah, of this somebody's got to see that somewhere on the world wide interweb somebody find the original video and tell us what happened spain and fitz coming up from the diamond to the pitch u.s women's national team star mal Pugh joins us next you can listen to the show weeknights at 7 eastern on espn radio and on the espn app so excited to have mal Pugh on the show it's spain and fitz Sarah Spain talking to Red Stars superstar, U.S. Women's National Team superstar, and the bearer of good news today because you got to surprise Riley Jackson of Tres, uh, Blessed Trinity Catholic High School out in Georgia with the Gatorade Girls Soccer Player of the Year Award. Um, I couldn't believe just a sophomore and only the ninth sophomore to win any National Player of the Year Award in any sport in the entire history of Gatorade's program uh, that was not that long ago for you. You're still a youngster. So take yourself <laughs> back to being a sophomore. What advice would you give her and even yourself at that age? Oh, um, advice that I would give myself um, and her. Well, she, so I asked her the question of like, what advice would you give young girls? And she said the advice that I always say um, which is just like always have fun, like never lose sight of the fun, never lose sight of like the joy and like the why you do it. Because I feel like as you, your career progresses and everything is thrown at you in different ways, I think the more that you lose sight of that, the harder it is. So never lose, losing sight of like the fun and the joy and the why. You've been at this for a long time and you've had focus on you since about around sophomore of, of high school. You won this Gatorade mm -hmm. Player of the Year award and it feels like for all the success you've had in the past, you're really hitting your stride now. 15 goals this year alone for club and country. You're third in the NWSL and scoring right now. To what do you attribute the success you're having? Uh, that's a great question. Um, I don't know. I think... <laughs> I think honestly, just, I've learned, um, this sound, it sounds really weird, but it like makes sense in my head, just like taking a deep breath and like not caring, like slowing down, being laid back. Like it's just a game, like not really like not getting like too hyped up about anything. Um, and just enjoying it and like going out and being myself and being confident in, in that, I think, I think is exactly what has helped. Do you feel like you were pressing before? Yeah, I feel like I, before I was like, even not so much last year. I think that process started last year, um, last season. But before I think I was one, the pressure on myself that I would put. And then I think as much as I would say that the outside pressure wasn't getting to me, I think it was. Um, because I feel a difference now. Yeah, and how much of that do you think has to do with getting left off that 2020 Olympic team? Because you had been a part of every major tournament, every major selection since you were quite young. 
Um, and that was a shock to a lot of soccer fans and experts that you didn't make that Olympic squad. Was that something that maybe caused you to put too much pressure on yourself? Um, I'm, I always tell people now, like, I'm very thankful that I wasn't a part of that group. Honestly, I think that I needed that. I needed the adversity. I needed to get through it. I needed something to kick me on my ass, honestly. <laughs> um, and that's exactly what happened. And then I think I was able to one, like get physically in form again, um, gave me time to get a lot of games under my belt. And with that comes confidence and playing well on the field. And then two, I think taking a step back and like actually like reflecting and thinking of like, what's important to me in my life. Um, and yeah, I think, I think it was, I think it was a blessing in disguise, honestly. Yeah. Sometimes you do need that, especially if you've been crushing for years and years, you need a reminder of how much hard work goes into remaining at the top. Um, speaking of the top Chicago red stars have been near or at the top of the table for most of the season, lots of new faces, lots of young players, and a lot of people who sort of forced into bigger roles because of injury, uh, Ava cook, for instance, leaving, leading the league in assists. Uh, tell me about this like younger team and how different it feels this year. It's a lot different. Um, it's yeah, I, it's funny because I actually was talking to Alyssa a couple of weeks ago and I feel like Alyssa Nair, of course, the superstar yes. goalie of the Red Stars. Oh yeah. She's a boss. But, um, I was saying, I was like with the national team and the Red Stars, I feel like it's kind of similar. Like you have a bunch of veterans and then you have a bunch of new faces. Um, so it's definitely a learning process, but I think that it's exciting. I think that the red stars right now are just, um, I think all the younger and rookies are, they're learning what it's like, what it takes to be a red star. And I think it's winning. Like we mm-hmm. kind of just go about our ways and get the job done. Um, and I think that it works out well for us and we kind of stay under the radar a little bit. And I don't necessarily think people like, we're not like, boom, you know, but we're, we're still there. Um, So yeah, I think it's just exciting. And um, I really miss all the girls right now too. (laughs) Yeah, in this this national team break. um, Before we get on to the national team, because I have lots of questions about that. um, New coach for the Red Stars, first new coach in the team's history after having the same coach for a decade. Mm. Um, What's that transition been like? And do you think his style or his strategy has helped contribute to how you've been putting up such good numbers? Yeah, I think... um, the transition at first, I think was a little difficult, but I think that once the game, like once the season started and challenge cup started, I think that, um, it really, it worked out really well. And yeah, I think Chris has allowed me to kind of have some freedom and kept allowing, cause last year I was able to like have some freedom on the field and, um, he's done exactly that. And I really appreciate that because I feel like for me, it's with that, I can find my confidence and my groove and everything. So, um, yeah, I definitely think that has a big, big, um, contribution of how I'm playing right now. 
Talking to Mallory Pugh of the Chicago Red Stars and the U.S. Women's National Team, third leading scorer in the league right now, and with the most goals for the U.S. Women's National Team in 2022 so far, she got to surprise Riley Jackson with the Gatorade National Girls Soccer Player of the Year award today, something that she herself won in the past. Mal, as an owner of the Red Stars, uh, uh, they somehow accidentally put my seats in the visiting team family section. It's a problem I'm looking to remedy because I got a bit of a mouth on me. I'm trying to adjust to being an owner, not just a fan and make sure I don't, you know, get <laughs> fined or otherwise disciplined for that mouth. But I need to know who I should hate the most. And I'm trying to figure out who mm -hmm. the team's top two rivals are. My guess is I'm starting with the Washington Spirit for defeating the Red Stars in the championship game last year. An incredible match. Congrats to them, but we hate them. Uh, who else <laughs> should I hate? Yeah, I think I was going to say the Spirit. Um even though some of my really good friends are on that team. Of but, course, of course, but not yeah. when we're playing. We yeah, have no friends when we're, when we're playing. playing. Yep. Um, who else? You know, I have, I have no idea. We need to work on this. We need to, we, we need to start some fights, Mal. And we need to talk oh, some God. smack and we need to create some bigger rivalries. We really do because I feel like there's always like the Portland and Seattle yeah. There's that one. And now like LA and San Diego. Well, there's expansion coming. So we should just force them to make a team in Wisconsin. We're always good at okay. fighting with them. There yeah. we go. Yeah, I'm yeah. down. Okay. <laughs> Mallory Pugh with me here on Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain on ESPN radio. Let's talk U.S. women's national team. Like I said, you're leading the team with five goals in 2022. Uh, ever since Vladko and Dodovsky took over, people have kind of tried to figure out who he likes and why, what his strategy <laughs> is over the years of veterans versus youngsters. Did you feel better coming in that you kind of had a fresh slate after not being on that 2020 Olympic team, or is it sort of like, I got to catch up and figure this guy out? Um, no, I feel like I felt a lot better. Um, but I also had a conversation with Flacco and we definitely kept in touch. Um, and I think the one thing that like, I can always be thankful for is that they like never really gave up on me. Um, and I think that having that in the back of my head was, very, very important too, because it again gave me some confidence. Um, so yeah, I think it it was nice having like kind of a clean slate. And I mean, I wasn't playing good; like I was, I I wasn't good. So, um, <laughs> and I re I remember like having conversations, and it was that's just like the reality of it. And um, I appreciate it, and I think that's what makes this team so special. Is like it's so competitive, and there's so much talent. So you gotta, you gotta stay, like you said, like kind of figure out how to stay on the top. Yeah. Um, lots of media attention that you've gotten since your teenage years, you won the world cup at 21 in 2019. So, you know, you're looking at Riley Jackson and these young players and, and thinking about, you know, the expectations they have for themselves. What are your expectations going forward now that you're back in the mix with the U S women's national team, the world cup on the horizon next year? Um, what kind of personal goals do you have? Yeah, I honestly have to say, like, I take it day by day. Um, and I've learned that I've, I have to do that because if I look too far into the future, I get too fixated on that and I'm missing the now and I'm missing mm -hmm. the process and I don't want to do that. Like, I want to enjoy the process and work through the process. So I think right now, honestly, I can the goal is to help this team qualify. And yeah. after that, 
then I'll check another goal. So sounding like a veteran, sounding like a veteran <laughs> at this point. All right. How are we fitting this wedding in? When's this happening? And how are we yeah. planning that while we're doing all this other stuff? We are planning it. Um, I ha we have a wedding planner, so oh, good. she's been doing everything and everyone keeps asking me like how it's going. And I'm like, I think good. I don't know. <laughs> she's amazing. You'll I'm chime like, in on the stuff you care about. <laughs> yeah. But it's in December. So we got good. some time. All right. So, uh, Whichever one, uh, either you or Dansby Swanson, who's your fiance, who is coming off a world championship win of his own. You guys are tied right now, right? One apiece. So now it's a matter of uh, of whoever gets the next oh, yeah. one takes the lead. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm sure there's never any conversation about, oh, about that yeah. back at the old homestead. Uh -huh. uh, Mal, you've been so, so fun to watch ever since you joined the Red Stars and we love you so much. Congrats and congrats on getting the honor of getting to surprise the Gatorade Player of the Year. That's a big honor as well. So uh, keep at it. Keep kicking butt. I will. Thank you. Awesome stuff with Mallory Pugh. I, for one, would love to see her get another title before Dansby. Just keep that rivalry going in the household. I also love Fitz getting to interview someone and say, my team, without having mm -hmm. to correct myself, because it is my team. It's Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, is presented by Progressive Insurance. Coming up, we'll wrap some things up. We'll get your terribly wrong ideas of what that AP video that couldn't run and got pulled was and get you ready for the holiday weekend. It's Spain and Fitz. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. I mean, I think we should have gone with the Weird Al Yankovic. Eat it. Just uh, eat it. Probably fair. You know, probably. Uh, that would have been appropriate for what we're going to dive into here. The content we're going to digest for our last oh, segment no. before the break. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on a Friday, taking you into the holiday weekend. The long break that hopefully you'll all get to enjoy. Fitz will be working, right, Fitz? You, you don't get to have a vacation. You'll be working as always. Yeah, I'll be on the corner of surfing Stillwell, enjoying the pomp and circumstance known as the Nathan's Famous Hot Dog Eating Contest. Look at that. I feel like I'm already ready. Listen to the You are ready. Oh, you are ready. ready. Do you do you memorize lines like the gentleman we heard earlier who said he had defeated the kings of Egypt with his with his hot dog eating or something like that. No, the only thing that I'm going to be sure, you know, tip of the hat to my uh, buddy, our buddy, Michael Jr. I'll be sure to work Glizzy Gladiators in. Yeah. Uh, somewhere in the uh, in the broadcast, but I'm the sideline reporter, so my main function. This sounds like people laugh at it, but it's just like doing a game. I sit down with the eaters on Sunday. I'll talk to them about what they're feeling, what uh, what difference it'll make. You learn a lot. Like now that this is my third year, I know, for example, that. The temperature of the hot dogs uh, makes a huge difference. Humidity makes a huge difference. So how quickly they can get them from the kitchen out to the surf and Stillwell location is going to make a difference. So talk to eaters about their prep and who's feeling what and who feels ready. And, and then, uh, yeah, I'll, hopefully I'll be able to use some of that uh, during the actual broadcast as I watch for particular eaters to see what they're capable you of. You are truly a pro, my friend. You have Look done this before. Also, I will never, ever call anyone competing in anything an eater. I just, it just, it doesn't sound right. I'm going to go with competitor. Just like, I don't know why, but I can't bring myself to describe the people competing as, as eaters. Um, we did ask people based on a very mysterious tweet from AP Entertainment that read, the AP has deleted a tweet about Nathan's hot dog eating contest. The video was deleted because it did not meet editorial standards. No one can seem to find the original tweet. We all want to know who did this, okay? And so we asked you, what did the video show that they pulled from the internet? Wrong answers only. 
We got some very clever ones. Like, I guess it didn't cut the mustard. Oh, uh, oh, maybe yeah. it was just something people wouldn't have relished seeing. Uh, we got a lot of videos that I will not describe for you. If you want to watch them, you can go to my Twitter account, at Sarah Spade, and see some of them. A couple other answers we got, Fitz, some timely ones. At TL Siegler said, ketchup going down a wall above a shattered plate. Mm. Uh, that person seems to be watching the same thing as the person who said the hot dog was reaching for the steering wheel. Uh, mm -hmm. A lot of people are focused on uh, current events. Uh, at Drone Guy 65 must be from Chicago. He said, easy, there was ketchup on the hot dog. We all know that that is not up to editorial standards. If you're from Chicago, no ketchup on a hot dog. Uh, at GW Collinsworth, the bun didn't consent. Uh, that certainly sounds like a lot of the videos that were sent in. Uh, Gregory said, I think Radio Shack was guest tweeting, maybe. <laughs> if you've been following along with that, uh, the Radio Shack handle, bought and taken over by a crypto company who's been driving interest by posting some extremely not safe for work things. Uh, speaking of not safe for work, Jackie Pepper said a video of hot dogs being made, probably. <laughs> which oh, wow. leads I, us like... to our next one. Vomit was involved. Uh, oh. <laughs> those go hand in hand. I, I believe it was probably a reversal of fortune happening at one of the contests. Fitz, you're the expert. If you could use the language that they prefer at Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest for what exactly a reversal of fortune is. Uh, that when you have consumed more than your body will allow in the moment, and as a oh. result, you have no choice but to expunge the extra food from your system. <laughs> expunge. That, but, yeah, we're going to go with that. Uh, well, that might happen if you eat Nathan's hot dog ice cream. Oh. Fitz, Nathan's hot dog ice cream is a real thing that someone thought needed to be made. Now, it's not the first time. There's also Kraft mac and cheese ice cream, Granny's sweet potato casserole, dill pickle, Idaho potato. And I would like to amend something I said earlier in the show when I said I will eat all potatoes. I don't want potato ice cream. I'm good. And I don't want hot dog ice cream. It incorporates both the dog and the bun. It's uh, Grub Street describes it as a toasted buttered bun ice cream with medallions of caramelized Nathan's all beef hot dogs, adding it is a surprisingly straightforward interpretation of the assignment and tastes exactly as it sounds. Ice cream infused with bits of bun and wiener. Are you in? Yeah, I'm. of course I'm in. The real question is, like, the first question here is, do I put hot dog or mustard on the ice cream? Like, do, I, do, do I just eat it as it, as it is? And, and it's caramelized. Maybe a honey so, mustard has a little sweetness to it. Yeah. I'm not going with the Grey Poupon. No, well, uh, look, do I seem like I'm ever fancy enough to go <laughs> no. with the Grey Poupon? Pardon like, that, me. That, that <laughs> You're a French's man. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, the, the more weird the yellow is on the mustard, the more likely yeah. I am the to The more unnatural it. to any color oh, yeah, seen that. in nature. So it's going to be unveiled at the Social's Prospect Heights Brooklyn shop the day before the hot dog eating contest. So if you want to put some hot dog ice cream in your body the day before you need to witness the glizzy gladiators downing dogs, that is a risk I would not be willing to take, but I think you might. Yeah, no, 100%. Now I'm looking at it saying there's got to be a way, A, for me to go check this out, and B, for me to consume it. So, you know, uh, there's no chance that I'm not going to at least try a hot dog ice cream if I have the opportunity. I, I, this this seems like a natural us? to me. Yeah. Like, 
I can we get a get review online? Can you post I mean, some photos, some video? Can you do oh, yeah. a review, perhaps? I mean, there'll be a, oh, there'll definitely be a review. I mean, there, there's no doubt about it. Like, and and it's weird because I like I love ice cream. I mean, I love ice cream, and I'm I'm good on hot dogs. So I don't know how I feel about the two being commingled. But there's only one way to find out. I mean, yeah. there's only one way to try the slow dance, and that's to actually eat it. Uh, we, uh, if we'd asked our question earlier, what is the most overrated item at a cookout? No one would answer hot dog ice cream because there's no way that is rated in any way. I think everybody has decided to stay away from that, except for you, of course. And one of the most common answers we got was people agreeing with us about the overrated baked beans. Jody Box, Obux said, every time you put them on your plate, you know you got too many, which is also a problem. They spread. You never want an item at a picnic or cookout where you're supposed to have a little bit of everything on your plate be the kind that seeps into the other items. Yeah, I don't disagree with that, especially as a very not surprising to anybody with my child palate, a very compartmentalized eater. I don't really like for my food to touch if they don't have to like that needs to be very <laughs> intentional otherwise like you know those trays we got when we were kids at the the school lunch trays like that kept everything in its own thing i would eat out of those every single day if i could like you know you can't think away get, from everything you could get plates meant for children that have the compartmentalized areas and they you could even get the kind that sucks into your table so you can't throw it <laughs> Uh, you're not now. I know what I'm going to spend the evening shopping for. Like, <laughs> now I know what Prime I'm going to get you for your birthday. Like, this, is, this is it. Like if Amazon Prime's going to give me a, a plate that will keep everything from touching everything. I'm all in for every ounce of that. Um, it's Spade and Fitz, Sarah Spade, Jason Fitz. You guys also said anything involving mayo. Some of you weirdos said watermelon, which is delicious. Some of you, even weirder people, said corn on the cob, which is the best part of a cookout. I don't care how much is in my teeth. Some of you need to prioritize the deliciousness of corn over your own vanity. Uh, I also cut the corn off the cob first so that that way I can shovel it. That's fine. That's fine. That's better than... That's better than ripping on corn, to be honest with you. That will not happen on this show. Not now, not ever. We are strictly a ripping on beans and deviled eggs kind of show. Freddie and Fitzsimmons are having both on the show next.